Life podcast. We truly hope you'll be inspired and challenged today. Now, let's dive into this message with the family at Pleasant Ridge. We're going to be in the book of Malachi here this morning. And uh, we're going to wrap this up uh, here uh, this Sunday. And uh, we're going to look at this last uh, message here out of the book of Malachi. We've been uh, looking so far at a lot of these uh, things that uh, Malachi brings to uh, the people, these charges. Uh, God has been speaking uh, pretty hard to them about their spiritual apathy And this morning, you're going to notice a change in the way that uh, Malachi speaks or the way that God speaks uh, to the people, because you're going to see a total different audience now uh, here towards the end of the book. And um, what Malachi will be focusing in on uh, here is the, the, really the second coming of Jesus. And uh, that's kind of where we find ourselves uh, today as believers in Christ. We are anticipating and looking forward to the second coming of Christ. And uh, you'll see all this uh, play out for us here, these last few verses that we're going to be looking at, uh, beginning verse 16, all the way through uh, Malachi chapter 4, uh, verse number 6. And really what it's going to be is uh, that uh, God's enemies will not escape. Uh, If you can remember previous uh, few verses, the people had been complaining to God and saying, God, you let all these evil people get away. Where's the God of justice? All those things. And uh, basically, God says, don't worry about it. I'm coming. Uh, justice will be served. Uh, and uh, all of the, the evil that is being done will be finally taken care of. Uh, and I will execute judgment upon all those that uh, do not know Christ, do not know the Lord. Uh, my wife and I, when we uh, first moved here, probably uh, it was yeah, 2016, uh, there was a house that we were looking at. We were pretty excited about moving into it. And we went ahead and uh, forewent the, the whole house inspection thing, just try to get a better deal on the house. And I was so excited because one of the things that was in the house was a pool table, and it was in the basement. And I was like, oh, man, I hope when we get that house, that pool table's still there. And boy, First day that we walked in, I ran right downstairs, and I was like, it's here. Look, the pool table's here. Right now, it's serving as a workbench. Um, (laughs) But anyways, uh, one of the things, you know, we started kind of going through the house, and I went into a little back room back there in in our basement, and I turned on the lights, and one of the things that I saw was I saw these little bugs migrating all over this uh, kind of shelving, and so I pulled the thing back, turned on the light a little bit brighter, and oh, there's some termites, and I was going, oh boy, yikes. I was like, man, these guys are coming in, I don't know where they're at, and they were live, I mean, they were moving, so then I decided to take a hammer and uh, rip off some of the wall, and I found that these things were in the wall already, too. So the next thing I did was I called the exterminator, and he came and he dealt with the problem. He sprayed, and we put those little termite traps out in the yard. We haven't had any termites since. But one thing I want you to take notice of here this morning is God knows of all the problems. 
He knows that they're there. And when he comes, he's going to thoroughly deal with all of it. And uh, so this morning is, is, is kind of, that's the message here. That's kind of the thrust that I want you to kind of capture as what uh, Malachi is going to be bringing uh, to the people. And hopefully as we work through this passage, you'll see God's hopeful words that he has uh, for his people. Uh, because this passage is really a constant reminder of God's assurance to his people of his love, of his, of his mercy, of his grace. And if you don't see that, if you don't see that in Scripture, right, uh, chances are you've grown very cold and apathetic to the Lord. Uh, because God is very gracious. He's very merciful. Always, constantly, uh, he's, he's just so merciful to us. And um, when Christ returns, all apathy will be fully dealt with completely. Uh, God will end it through judgment for his enemies or salvation for his children. And so where are you at this morning? When Christ returns, there's only going to be two groups of people. That's it. There's going to be those who know the Lord and those who do not know the Lord. Which group are you going to be in? When he calls his angels to gather them all, right? And then there's this sorting. Jesus talked about this, this sorting of the good and the bad. Uh, which group will you be gathered into? And really, that's kind of what Malachi is going to be really talking about a lot here this morning. And so if you are God's child, meaning Christ is your Savior, you need to be reminded of the promises that are yours, by being reminded of these promises, I hope that it, if there is any apathy, any, any, rigid, uh, any apathy left in your heart, that, that you would see God's grace and his mercy and you would repent and you would turn back to Christ and serve him uh, with, your, with your full heart. And so this is what I want you to take away with you this morning. Find hope for your spiritual apathy through his second coming. Find hope for your spiritual apathy through his second coming. Now, I'm going to give you a few things here as we're going to work through this passage here. Number one, when he comes, he will remember those who are faithful. Take note what Malachi writes here. He says, then those who feared the Lord spoke with one another. You see the difference now? Remember all the ones prior to this? These were the ones that were bringing profane sacrifices these are the ones that were being faithless in their marriages and faithless in their relationships. Uh, these are the ones that aren't questioning God's love. This is a total different audience now. And notice what they're doing. Then those who feared the Lord, as opposed to those that didn't fear the Lord, as we looked at in the previous chapters. Then those who feared the Lord spoke with one another. The Lord paid attention and heard them. And a book of remembrance was written before them, before him of those who feared the Lord and esteemed his name. See that word then there? It's emphatic. In, in the Hebrew, it's really it's highlighting a new response from somebody else. Then those. There's a different audience here. There's a different response. It says that they spoke to one another unlike those who have proudly disregarded God's word. These people have received it humbly. They've given, they've given audience to the word of Malachi. They've listened. 
and they've taken it to heart. And it says, then those who feared the Lord spoke with one another. And I love this. It says that the Lord paid attention. You know, I think this is just another faithful reminder to us that the Lord hears us, whether we're grumbling and complaining or whether we are wholeheartedly engaged with him and desiring him. And it says that the Lord paid attention. Do you share your hope in God with others? And I like this. It says that they, that they feared the Lord, spoke with one another. They shared their hope that they had in God. They spoke it with one another. I believe the greatest way that we can build community and encouragement with one another is that we speak about what God is doing in our lives with others. Do we share that on a constant basis with each other of what the Lord is doing? That's what these people were doing. They were speaking with one another. Those that are faithful live faithfully from a heart filled with hope. And that's what these people hear. And God knows those who are faithful. This is the faithful remnant. God always has a remnant. Always. No matter how, how wicked it gets and how, how horrible it seems... God will have a faithful remnant. God will always raise up people who are going to be faithfully holding to his word, faithfully proclaiming his word, faithful to Jesus. And I think it's very important that for us who know Christ, that we make sure that we, that we uh, cast off that apathy that's, that seems to creep into our lives so easily. And that we remain faithful to God, faithful to his word, faithful to his promises. Is it hard? Yes, it's hard. Is it difficult? Yes, it's difficult. Does it, does it seem wearisome? Yes, it does. But we must remain faithful. And when he comes, he will remember those who are faithful. God is not going to reward for the largest, the biggest, the grandest. It will reward faithfulness. We must be faithful always. I think this is interesting here. These are God's people. And you think about it, right? All of, all of Israel, right? God has this message to all of Israel, but not all of them are faithful. And I think this is a, a, a good reminder to remember that even though these are God's people, not all of Israel is the true Israel. Paul tells us this in Romans uh, 9, cha uh, chapter 9, verse number 6, that not of all of Israel is true Israel. True Israel, the true people of God, are marked as those who return to God, fear Him, serve Him. They live by faith. Fake Israel, even though they may have the heritage, they may have the ethnicity, but they do not return to God. They do not fear him. They do not serve him. They lack faith. And there is always a remnant. There are those who wear the Christian name tag. They go to church. They live a, by a good set of morals. Yet their hearts are very far from God. And just because you claim the name doesn't mean that God claims you. You have to know Christ. If you want to be part of those that will be remembered, if you want to be counted as those that are in the group of the faithful, you have to know Christ. It's not good enough just to come to a Sunday morning service. 
It's not good enough to just drop some money in the offering box. It's not good enough to post the Bible verses, right? You have to know Christ completely, fully. Does he know you? If he does not know you, then you're not part of his family. These are God's elect in Israel, his true children. And what will God do for the faithful? Now, look at this. I love this. What will God do for the faithful? He's paying attention and he hears them. And in doing so, he will remember them. Because notice what it says. The Lord paid attention and heard them. And a book of remembrance was written before him of those who feared him. A book of remembrance. Psalm 34, 15 says that the eyes of the Lord are toward the righteous and his ears are open to their cry. When the Lord looks upon you, what does he find? The Lord can look directly through our facade. What does he find? Does he find a heart of faithfulness? Does he find a heart that is, that is set towards God and passionately wants him to direct him? When the Lord looks upon those here of Pleasant Ridge, what does he find? Does he find faithfulness? Or does he find apathy? What does the Lord find? What does he see? Is he finding faithfulness among us? Remember what the others were saying previously in verse number 14? You have said it is vain to serve God. What is the profit of our keeping his charge or walking as in mourning before the Lord of hosts? And I remember, uh, I remember and your reward is coming, says the Lord. He says, I know this. And he says, your reward is coming. Is your life found in the books? Revelation chapter 20, verse number 11 through 12 says, Then I saw a great white throne and him who sat upon it, and I saw the dead, the great, the small, standing before the throne, and the books were open. Another book was open, which is the book of life, and the dead were judged from the things which are written in the books according to their deeds. Christian, can I encourage you, can I plead with you to remain faithful to Christ always? This world is going to get harder and it's going to get more wicked. It's going to become more twisted and perverse. But you must remain faithful to Christ. No matter the cost, no matter the hardship, remain faithful because when he comes, he will remember that. And that's what the Lord is looking for. If you slipped into a pattern of apathy, break out of it and be faithful again to our Lord Christ. It is never a futile endeavor to serve God. Although it seems like right now it is unrewarded, unappreciated, maybe forgotten, God reminds us that he is watching, he remembers, and the reward is coming. It'll be there. Here's the second thing. Number two, when he comes, he will treasure those who know him. Look what he says here. He says, they shall be mine, says the Lord of hosts. In the day, what day? When he comes, when I make up my treasured possession, and I will spare them as a man spares his son who serves him. 
God doesn't merely remember the faithful. He cherishes them. They are his precious treasure. He's used this language before speaking to Israel. In fact, we find it in Deuteronomy 7, verse 6. It says, and then uh, in, also in Isaiah 43, 1, O Israel, do not fear, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by name. You are mine. He calls them my own possession. Some translations, your translation may read here, my own jewel. When I was in college, I remember the time that I wanted to propose to my wife, and we spent some time uh, looking on the internet, looking at, you know, engagement rings, what do you like, you know, all this kind of stuff. And I worked, man, I worked like three jobs that summer to save up <laughs> some money. Um, and I got the money, then I went to the jewelry store, and I bought the ring, and it was everything that... I was hoping that it would be. It was everything that I was wanting it to be. And it was a treasured possession. And I remember I got it, and I took it back to my dorm room, and we were going to get engaged. She didn't know when we were going to get engaged. In fact, she ruined the whole engagement. Can you believe it? <laughs> You'll have to ask her about that one. But anyways, um, so had this had this ring, and I put it in my dorm room. I, I was like, okay, I'm going to put it in the, in the drawer and cover it up because I don't want anybody to come in here. And I treasured it. I valued it. And, and that anticipation to the time coming up, I would pull it out and I would look at it. And, oh, wow, this is going to be so cool. And it was treasured. It was valued. Make the application here. When the Lord comes, you are his treasured and valued possession. You will be his for all of eternity. He will value and treasure you as what he says. Among all the nations of the earth, God chose Israel and made her his prized possession, not because they were any better, not because they were bigger or more beautiful, but simply because God chose them, he loves them, and keeps his promises to them. This is a beautiful reminder to the people of Israel of God's covenant love. And although the majority of the nation has fallen away, there is still a remnant with faith that God says, I love you, I value you, I treasure you. And when I return, he will treasure those who know him. God is going to bring total restoration to his faithful remnant. We see this in all these promises. Ezekiel eleven seventeen. there's a restoring them to their land as promised. Ezekiel 37, 26, there will be peace like they have not seen. Isaiah chapter 2, verse number 3 and verse number 4, he will establish his forever reign in Jerusalem. Romans chapter 11, they are his and he has not forsaken them. Israel will shine again and his glory will appear upon them as it says in Isaiah chapter 60 verse number 2. God made an explicit promise and he intends to keep it. What about us then? We are included in God's covenant love. I want to show you a couple awesome passages about this. Take your Bibles and turn over to uh, the book of Ephesians chapter number 2. Notice what it says here. Ephesians chapter 2, verse number 11. I love this, what Paul writes about how Christ has brought us in to the family. 
Ephesians chapter 2, verse number 11, it says, Therefore remember that at one time you Gentiles of the flesh called the uncircumcision. You weren't part of the family of God by what is called the, uns- the circumcision, which is made by the flesh of hands. Remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility And he came and preached peace to you who were far off and peace to those who were near. For through him, we both have access in one spirit to the Father. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. We are part of the family. If you know Christ, you have been brought into that family through Christ, through the sacrifice on his cross, and God has brought us near to himself. Are you part of that family? And when he comes, when the Lord Christ comes, he will value and he will treasure all of those who really, truly belong to him. Look at 1 Peter, you're there in Ephesians, flip over to 1 Peter, look what it says here in chapter 2, I love this, 1 Peter chapter 2 verses 9 and 10, it says, but you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own, what? Possession. You are part of his possession that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. And so if we know Christ, then we are included. If we know Christ when he comes, we will be part of his precious treasure reflections of his glory and his grace throughout all of eternity will be part of that. Here's the third thing. When he comes, he will separate the true believers from the make-believers. Malachi 3.18 says, Then once more you shall see the distinction between the righteous and the wicked between the one who serves God and the one who does not serve him. How will we tell the difference between true Israel and fake Israel? How will we tell the difference between those who really truly know Christ and those who are trying to make it, going to fake it till I make it? How will we know? Scripture tells us that we can look at a person's life and their fruit and see the fruit, if there's, if there's true fruit there, but we can't distinguish somebody's heart. We can't do that. It's interesting that here, this day of the Lord 
Because notice what he talks about. He says this, this, there's going to be this day of the Lord. There's going to be this distinction that will be evidenced. And he says there's going to there's come this day of the Lord. And really the day of the Lord is, is this time period that's going to include judgment. It's going to include this gathering. It's going to include the, the coming of Christ. All of this is encompassed within the day of the Lord. All of these things are going to happen. And in all of this time, there's going to be this time where God is, is really, really going to just like flip on the lights and everything will be exposed for truly what it is. All those that truly know Christ, it will be evidenced and those that do not know Christ, it will be evidenced. You know, we live in a day where it's difficult to distinguish true believers from make-believers there are features or fruit that, that we, can, we can try to determine, but we have a hard time sometimes. But Malachi here tells us that this day of the Lord God will distinguish the righteous from the wicked. In Matthew chapter 25, verse 32 to 33, Jesus reminds us that this day is still coming. Listen to what Jesus says. All the nations will be gathered before him, and he will separate them from one another as the shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. And he will put the sheep on his right and the goats on the left. Notice, Jesus did not say when he comes he will separate the sheep from the goats, the lukewarm, the in-between, the people that are riding the fence. There's only two groups, that's it those who know Christ and those who do not know Christ. And when Christ returns on that day, he will separate the true believers from the make-believers. Which group will you be in? Which group are you a part of? This is why we must, we must do self-examination in our hearts and in our lives and if we are cold to the things of God, if we're, if we're spiritually apathetic, we could care less. You really need to listen and heed the warning that Scripture makes here. Because there is a day that is coming when the Lord will separate the true believers from the make-believers. The wheat from the chaff. And it's coming there are only those for God or against him. Spiritual apathy will not last forever. God's going to flip on the lights of exposure. And guess what comes after the exposure? Extermination. Now please listen to this and heed the warning. When he comes, he will bring judgment to all his enemies. Do not mistake this. Do not think that God is, is some big bully or anything like that. God is merciful. He's gracious. He extends his mercy forever and ever and ever. But there is going to come a day when God will bring judgment upon the world. Listen to what Malachi says here and heed this warning. For behold... Don't let it slip by you. For behold, the day is coming, burning like an oven, 
when all the arrogant and all the evildoers will be stubble. The day that is coming shall set them ablaze, says the Lord of hosts, so that it will leave them neither root nor branch. There is a serious judgment coming, a judgment that the world has not seen ever. God's enemies will be burned. God is reinforcing here that while there is hope and rewards for the faithful, there is also justice for the wicked. When Christ returns, all accounts will be settled completely, fully. Those, are not, those that are not restored by Christ will face the judgment of a God that never forgets. Listen to what Jesus said in Matthew 25, verses 41. He says, then he will also say to those on his left, here's those goats, right? What is he going to say? Depart from me, accursed ones, into the eternal fire, which has been prepared for the devil and his angels. Verse 46, he says, these will go away into eternal punishment. Everyone that is opposed to God will be set ablaze in an unending fire. That's truth. That's a reality. This is the day that is coming. Thomas Watson said this concerning the judgment of God. Listen to what he says. The fire of hell is such as multitudes of tears will not quench it. Length of time will not finish it. The vial of God's wrath will always be dripping upon a sinner as long as God is eternal. He lives to be avenged upon the wicked. Oh, eternity, eternity, who can fathom it? Mariners have their plummets to measure the depths of the sea, but what line or plummet shall we use to fathom the depth of eternity? The breadth of the Lord kindles the infernal lake, and where shall we have buckets to quench that fire? I must warn you, eyes up here, look at me quickly. I must warn you, I must warn you that if you do not know Christ, you will be turned in to the lake of fire. That's it. You must heed the warning. You must turn to Christ. Christ loves you. He gave his life on the cross for you. He paid the sin debt for you. And if you go on in your life thinking that all of this is just going to continue as it always has, you are sadly mistaken there is a day that is coming, the Lord says, and he will keep his promises. And I warn you, I warn you out of love, I warn you out of compassion, I warn you because this is real, this is eternity. Your eternal soul hangs in the balance of all of this. And so you've got to know that. You have to know that. If this is you, listen very carefully to the next point that Malachi makes here. When he comes, he will bring mercy to his children. So if you don't know Christ, there is eternity waiting for you in the lake of fire. You can become one of his children. If you are one of his children, you will have mercy. Listen to what Malachi writes here. Malachi 4, 2 through 3 says, But for you who fear my name, you see the difference? 
The sun of righteousness shall rise with healing in his wings. You shall go out leaping like calves from the stall. You shall tread down the wicked, for they will be ashes under the soles of your feet on the day when I act, says the Lord of hosts. So what about the faithful here? What about his children? God will bring mercy when, his, when he comes. His children will be spared. And if you are not one of his children, you need God's mercy. You need it. Do you see the contrast here to the previous verse? The wrath of God, the day that's coming, they're going to be set ablaze versus the son of righteousness shall rise with healing in his wings. How does God bring mercy? I want you to notice a couple things here. Number one, through healing. God brings mercy through healing. Here is the gospel. (laughs) This is the good news. We are all arrogant We're all evildoers. We're all sinners from the heart. We all deserve the eternal crushing described in that previous verse. He'll crush us like stubble. But instead, what does God do? God offers another the righteousness. He offers us the righteous one. He offers us Christ instead so that we could have righteousness. He offers Christ to be crushed Instead of us. Isaiah 53, 10 through 11 says, But the Lord was pleased to crush him, putting him to grief, the righteous one. My servant will justify the many as he will bear their iniquities. Jesus Christ came and he lived a righteous life, the life that we could not live. He went to the cross and he bore our sin debt. He took the place that we deserve. He was crushed by the wrath of God instead of us. His life for our life. And it's by believing in that and trusting in Christ that we can have healing. Healing. Spiritual healing from our sin. And so when we believe in Him, trusting in His work alone for our salvation, we are justified. And I love this. Look what it says here. Jesus, right? He says, the son of righteousness. Who is that? Jesus, right? He is the son of righteousness. This both points to his first and second coming because of his first coming. We can be covered in the wings of his righteousness. And when he comes again, he will spare those who are covered, those with faith in Christ alone. So not only through healing, but also through freedom. Look at this. I love this. He says, we will be like leaping calves when he comes. There will be true freedom. Now, I'm not a farmer. I don't, I don't have animals. I got a dog. Um, but it's interesting. It talks about these leaping calves. And I, I have seen calves that have been born, okay? And when they come out, and the, what they're doing, right? It's this leaping. It's freedom. Christ brings freedom. And when he comes, I want you to get the picture, get it, right? When he comes, we will be set free from these bodies of sin. We'll be set free. We'll be set free from, the, from, from that, that sin-cursed body completely when he comes. That's just a, an amazing thing to grasp and get a hold of. And do you see what kind of hope that gives us? 
As believers in Christ, yes, the world is hard. Yes, it's difficult. Yes, there's a lot of injustice in the world. But when he comes, there's going to be freedom, total freedom when Christ returns. Also, there will be victory. Look what he says here. You shall tread down the wicked, for they will be ashes under the soles of your feet on that day when I act, says the Lord of hosts. We look forward to his coming, and when we see all the wicked treaded down, I want to read some verses to you. Revelation chapter 19, 11 through 16 says, And I saw heaven open, and behold, a white horse, and he who sat on it called faithful and true, and in righteousness he judges and wages war. His eyes are a flame of fire, and on his head are many diadems, and he has a name written on him which no one knows except himself. He is clothed with a robe dipped in blood, and his name is called the Word of God. And the armies which are in heaven clothed in fine linen, this is us, those that know Christ, we're coming back with him. We're clothed in fine linen, white and clean. We're following him on white horses. From his mouth comes a sharp sword so that with it he may strike down the nations and he will rule them with a rod of iron and he treads the winepress of the fierce wrath of God, the Almighty. And on his robe and on his thigh he has a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Revelation 19, 19 through 21, it says, And I saw the beast and the kings of the earth, their armies assembled to make war against him who sat on the horse and against his army. And the beast was seized, and with him the false prophet who performed the signs in his presence. These two were thrown alive into the lake of fire, which burns with brimstone. And the rest were killed with the sword, which came from the mouth of him who sat on the horse. And all the birds were filled with their flesh. Revelation chapter 20, verses 4 through 6, Then I saw thrones, and they sat on them, and judgment was given to them. And I saw the souls of those who had been beheaded because of their testimony of Jesus and because of the word of God. And those who had not worshipped the beast or his image and had not received the mark on their forehead and on their hand. And they came to life and reigned with Christ for a thousand years. Blessed and holy is the one who has part in the first resurrection. Over these, the second death has no power, but they will be priests of God and of Christ and will reign with him for a thousand years. Now, if that does not light your spiritual jets, you have apathy in your hearts. Christ is coming. And when he comes, man, it's going to be amazing. It's going to be better than any football game you ever did watch. It is going to be powerful, and it's going to be a sight to behold. Let's finish this up. Before he comes, what should we be doing? This is what we're looking forward to. What should we be doing as believers in Christ? Here it is. Malachi is going to finish this for us. Malachi 4.4, remember the law of my servant Moses the statutes and rules that I commanded him at Horeb for all of Israel. Before he comes, find hope in remembering his words. Until Christ returns, we need to remember his words. We will find tremendous hope in his promises. After Malachi's message here, 400 silent years before Christ steps on the scene. 
And he's charging me. He says, don't forget the hope that is coming. Don't forget it. You are going to find hope through the word of God. Christian, can I encourage you? I want to encourage you. Find your substance and your hope from God's word. As you read it and obey it and live it, that's the hope that you're going to need as we wait for our coming king. He wants us to obey. When Jesus left, after he was resurrected and he left, the charge that he gave was to go into all the world and make disciples. And he says, we are to obey all that I have commanded you. So until he returns, you know what we need to be doing? Obeying. Continually obeying. Continually remembering his words. And Christ is going to return. We don't know when he's going to come, but we should not neglect his word. We must continue to obey his word as we keep our eyes on Christ through his word. Here's the last thing that Malachi gives us. Before he comes, find hope in his power to restore. And this is the fourth behold here. Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the great and awesome day of the Lord. Remember chapter 3, he said, Behold, I'm going to send my messenger. That happened, right? John the Baptist came, saying, Prepare the way of the Lord, repent, right? Here he is saying, Now listen, here's the second day that's going to be coming, the second coming. Behold, I am going to send Elijah the prophet before the great and awesome day of the Lord. There were those who heard the message of John and there were those who rejected. Jesus said this in Matthew eleven fourteen, And if you are willing to accept it, John himself is Elijah who was to come. And so John came and he's saying, hey, prepare the day, prepare, 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 prepare. Well, before Christ comes, what we need to be doing is we need to find hope in his power to restore. And so here in these last two verses, we see that just as John served as a partial fulfillment to Malachi's prophecy, there's yet more to come. In Revelation 11.3, it tells us of two witnesses that will prepare the way before Christ's second coming. Malachi here says that Elijah the prophet will come before the great and awesome day. Even Jesus said in the same thing in Matthew 17, 11, Jesus said, and he answered and said, Elijah is coming and we restore all things. Now, is it actually going to be Elijah? Some people disagree on that. I don't know. But what we must understand is that right now what God is doing is he's bringing about restoration. He's bringing about restoration. And if you don't know Christ... Christ wants to restore you back to himself. Because I love this, what he says, he will turn the hearts of his fathers to their children, the hearts of children to their fathers. So this is all future. That's something that will happen. Jesus told us that it's not for us to know the times or the seasons, right? We don't know when Christ is going to return. But when he comes, you got to be ready. And so find hope in his coming. Let me show you the last thing here. Do you know how the book of Malachi ends? This is the Old Testament. You know how it ends? The last word in Malachi? Destruction. A curse. We see that curse was brought in through man's sin. 
that curse has continued all through the Old Testament. Now flip over to Revelation. Revelation, last chapter. You're going to love this. Revelation chapter 22, verse 21. You know what the last words of how the New Testament ends? Grace. Destruction, sin, curse. Our Lord is going to bring grace. When he comes, you've got to be ready. Don't get caught up in that group that's going to be part of destruction. You're going to want to have the grace that you're going to need. Let's pray together. If you're interested in more information about our church or knowing the peace that Jesus gives, visit our website at lifeattheridge.church.